Hello, hello everyone and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. My name is Jesse Fritz and I am your host over here on the show. Today I have Ashley Rippentrop on the show. I have been chatting back and forth with Ashley for a while now so I was super pumped to have her on the show so that she could tell you all about her experience living with invisible illness. Ashley has an incredible story, having issues from the time that she was really small to kind of it rearing its ugly head when she got a little bit older as well. She also shares her story about how she uses what she termed the rally method and how that's helped her through her chronic illness journey. And then last but not least, we chatted a little bit about her documentary that is coming out that she made with her husband all about chronic and invisible illness called Behind the Visible that will be coming out in 2021. So I'm super excited for y'all to hear from Ashley today. So I want to jump right in. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. But let's jump in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. Today on the show, I have Ashley Rippentrop. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jesse. appreciate you having me. Of course. So why don't we jump right in, and how about you tell the listeners a little bit about you and who you are? So my name's Ashley. I'm originally from the Chicago area, but I live in Missouri currently with my husband, and I have several chronic illnesses. And that's not, you know, the whole part of me, but it certainly is a big part of my life. Um, I was diagnosed with POTS and then shortly thereafter, several other chronic illnesses just about three years ago, but I'd been dealing with these syndromes and illnesses long before. I can remember being seven years old and having signs of neuropathy. I would call them laughy hands um, and my dad would get them too and my sister and our hands would just go numb and stop working. They would kind of like, you know, you couldn't grip stuff and we just kind of were like, oh, it's just the the laughy hands of our family. And (laughs) later I'm like, nope, that is (laughs) neuropathy. So I still deal with that. Um, There were some other things, other signs I noticed as a kid you know you don't really think that much of it when you're a kid you're just having fun you're figuring out life um high school things got a little different for me I started fainting and I actually got a couple concussions and after that I started getting migraines um feeling kind of dizzier just different symptoms that weren't normal and I don't think I was very fully believed by my family and friends. They just thought it was like hormonal or stress Mm and, and, you know, being a teenager, like hard to get up in the morning kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's tired now. Just, you know, go take a shower and get ready. (laughs) Um, So things started to change then. And I also got a weird stomach bug when I went on a trip to Mexico my junior year. So I sort of feel like a combination of the concussion, you know, feigning and that weird stomach bug kind of triggered so much to come out to the point where in college I was feigning once a week um, at its worst. And I was getting migraines all the time. I was, you know, with alcohol, I reacted very severely. Um, Different things would happen, different swelling, rashes, like all these weird symptoms Mm -hmm. I would get really fatigued and really weak at 
one point my heart would race for no reason. I'd be like in bed, like trying yeah. to sleep. And all of a sudden I would have like heart pounding palpitations and I didn't know, you know, what was going on. Um, I was seeing doctors, nobody could figure it out. I was seeing specialists getting tests done. I couldn't really find anything definitive. Um, just that I had all these different things going on. And I want to say it was my junior year of college where things got really bad. Mm. And I actually had to take um, a medical leave of absence from school because the feigning was out of control. I was ending up in the ER every couple months. Um, and they would diagnose me with like unexplained weakness. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like my heart rate would be in like the forties and then it would, and it would just chill there. And, and then I would also go like way up and I wore a halter monitor for a month. I, um, I was seeing a cardiologist and he told me just to like salt my foods and wear compression stockings. And you know, those things actually now knowing what I have were good things to try and do, but they certainly weren't a cure. Yeah. Um, I even had a tilt table test 10 years ago, which is how you get diagnosed for POTS, one of the conditions I have. And the doctor basically said, um, okay, you have these fainting episodes. They're not getting better. If you faint during the test, we can prove that you have these episodes and I can prescribe you medication. Mm. But that was all that there was really. So he hooked me up. We did the test. I fainted flying colors and <laughs> everything went crazy. My heart rate, blood pressure, and I got medicine. I didn't know why yeah. that was happening. He just, yeah. So, wow. so began my journey with, you know, medication to treat this and it did help for a while. And I actually got to a point where I ran three half marathons in a year. I got so physically conditioned and I was on the medication. So it was preventing the fainting episodes. I was still having migraines a lot. Um, I had changed my diet a bit that year. Um, but Anyway, so I had a few more manageable years. And then about five years ago, I want to say things just started tanking again and new symptoms came about like brain fog and daily pressure in my head, daily headaches, wow. um, more chronic migraines. I started feeling like my medication wasn't working anymore again. So I felt like I was near faint or, and I did faint again later than I hadn't in years. And that started happening again. So I was like, okay, something is up again. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I've had, you know, tons of tests like MRIs, scans, um, you know, different things. And it wasn't until I was in a support group where someone mentioned POTS and described all the symptoms that this person had had. And I remember thinking, this is describing my life. Yeah. <laughs> so familiar. So I remember going home that night and researching. And the more I read, the more I felt like this has to be what I'm dealing with. Oh, wow. This just connects all the pieces. And anyway, so I figured out how you could get tested for it. It was a tilt table test again and some other stuff. And so sure enough, when I got into the doctor, I had it. Yeah. So it's so important to, yeah, advocate for yourself. This is why awareness is so important. Um, if I, I had never heard of the word POTS until 
probably four years ago. Mm-hmm. And so just hearing that and then knowing a little bit about it through my friend talking about it, I mean, it changed my life. It allowed me to get a diagnosis within, which then started things for me, mm-hmm. you know, and little did I know at the time it, there was a whole more journey, longer journey after that, but, um, but it got things started for me. So that, yeah, that kind of kicked everything else off and then long story. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it, it's always unfortunately a long story longer than I I feel like we should have to deal with. But like so a couple questions about pots just honestly like I just having this podcast is how I learned about pots. I had never heard of it. It wasn't something that I knew about. So I guess like two quick questions about that before we continue is can you just like do a quick explanation of what pots is and then also was POTS the causation of your other illnesses or were those kind of just tackled on top of it? Sure. That's a great question. So POTS is basically a form of dysautonomia, which Mm -hmm. means your autonomic nervous system, which controls things you don't think about like heart rate, blood pressure, sweating, kidney function, digestion. um, That system doesn't work properly. Mm -hmm. And POTS specifically um, can be diagnosed from a tilt table test when you go from the supine laying down position to standing and your heart rate jumps over 30 beats per minute, um, you know, within minutes of standing and it usually hangs out there. It stays higher. So for example, if I'm laying down at, you know, let's say I'm at 70 beats per minute, um, my heart rate will start ticking up as I'm standing up and it'll jump to like, 135 and it'll just stay there and it'll stay high and then sometimes you can have unsteady blood pressure with that as well but anyway it's that abnormal art, uh, heart rate increase and then there's the um, postural symptoms so when you're upright whether that be sitting up standing up you're feeling worse you're you're getting the brain fog kind of the head rush the you're not getting enough oxygen and blood flow to your brain so that naturally creates a lot of problems yeah so and basically the system that's supposed to just function automatically and do things you don't think about is just not working as it should so things you take for granted are just uh having some struggles right just like you know like basic bodily function isn't working like what do you what do you do in that situation it's like terrifying i'm sure um yeah so from that diagnosis, um, what has kind of happened for you? How have you, I know you said some other things kind of popped up along your journey as well, but like, um, <clears throat> you know, going into the working world or like different things like that, like how have you changed your life in order to, to feel your best? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, once I got my POTS diagnosis, I began other medications to try to treat it. And I quickly realized through both research and connecting with other people that have this condition, as well as um, Dysautonomy International and, um, you know, organizations like that, that it's typically not just POTS. Often, actually, it's rarely just POTS. Yeah. So immediately I'm thinking, okay, well, what else do I have? Or, you know, like you said, is POTS causing other things or do I have something else that's causing POTS and perhaps other things? So I began that journey of 
you know, trying to figure out what else I had. And the more you talk to other people in the community, you start learning about other associated or underlying conditions like mast cell activation syndrome, which I have, mm-hmm. um, EDS, there's, you know, autoimmunity. So anyway, I looked back at my life too, and I was thinking, you know, oh, I always used to get these rashes. I still do. Um, swelling when I eat certain foods. I, um, you know, get like a red nose and a red face in certain areas and all, and hives randomly. And um, I learned that was mast cell when in the past I always, we thought it was rosacea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. you just never know. You think it's like a normal thing or um, maybe you got too hot or something. But yeah, so I started learning and getting tested for all these other things and looking for potential causes of my POTS, trying to figure out, did my concussion spur all this? Did, um, you know, was my brain never the same after that? And I'm still actually on that journey, but I did learn that um, I do have some autoimmunity stuff going on and they either think that that's causing my POTS or that they're sort of making each other worse. Mm, Um, And also I get, migraines which sometimes people get migraines just it's just genetic you know people just get them so by treating other things that you know you have you can often help remedy the other Mm -hmm. things if that makes sense like so say you deal with really chronic headaches and you also have pots by treating the headaches aggressively it also might in turn help with the pots because it helps stabilize the autonomic nervous system Mm -hmm. by you know kind of letting your body not be in so much pain um so it's a process it's a juggling act and i feel like i'm constantly putting out fires and other fires are starting and anyway so i you know i wound up at the mayo clinic searching for more answers because my my um doctor who diagnosed me we weren't really getting anywhere Mm -hmm. after a while he was just you know managing me but um we weren't really having any more improvement and we weren't figuring out what else was going on. So you, it often takes a full care team yeah. to figure out everything that's going on. But I always tell people, you know, look for root causes, you know, don't make it your whole like life's mission or like, you know, have a balance, but you should at least in the beginning be looking for those other things that can often come with POTS or perhaps be causing POTS because it is, it is so important. So that's it. But yeah, having all these conditions, it's affected my ability to work, my ability to drive, have a normal social life, um, go to gatherings that are like standing room only like cocktail hours often, um, uh, public transportation where, you know, you don't want to be that like young, healthy looking girl taking that um, handicap seat, but I really need that seat. Yeah if I'm going to be on the bus for 10, 15 minutes, I can't stand that long without feeling like I'm going to pass out. And so it's navigating and, you know, all those different things and, and learning that this is what you have to deal with now. And you have to advocate for yourself. You have to fight for um, the accommodations that you need. And cause that's how you're going to live your best life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, first of all, after living in Chicago and I mean, I hated public transit. So it was so wonderful, but it was so awful at the same time. And then to add on top of that, just like worrying about, I mean, I just hated it because I didn't want to be touching other people that I didn't know. (laughs) Um, But like to have on top of that, like just 
that thought of like, I can't, I can't even stand here for my full bus ride. Like, you know, dealing with that is just, you know, not even things that I, that I would think about as like a regular person on a, on public transit or something like that. But, um, so yeah, I think that, what you said at the end is really important. And it's something that I like to talk about a lot on this podcast. And thankfully a lot of people have similar stories, which is like they get their diagnosis or maybe they don't and they, but they learn how to um, still find purpose in themselves and like look at what their success might look like, even though it might look a little bit different. So I know that you have like a method or a process that you really believe in that, um, like finding purpose in pain. So can you, can you explain that to us? Absolutely. Yeah. So throughout this whole journey, um, I just got to a point where I'm like, okay, I deal with all these things. My life has changed. It's not going the direction I thought it would you know, I'm not going to become this big career, corporate career woman. Um, Life is going to look a little different for me. And, and that's okay. So I was kind of thinking about my process. I'm a big journaler. So um, anyway, I'll get to that. So I kind of came up with this process to help um, find purpose in your pain. And I'll kind of walk through the steps that you would go through and kind of explain briefly my journey with that and how I turned my suffering and pain into something that Mm. gives my life more meaning and um, some more purpose. So uh, I came up with rally sort of like, you know, you're not forgetting about your pain. You're, you're kind of moving through it and working with it. So you're, you're rallying, you're, you're still dealing with it, but you're finding a way to move through it with purpose. Mm -hmm. So the first letter in rally is R standing for reflect. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so important to, even if you're not a journaler, you know, write it out, word vomit, whatever you got to do, type it out, delete it, even if you have to just have some really good self-reflection time and figure out like, think about like, how has your situation changed? How has it changed you? You know, what do things look like now? What limitations do you now have? Mm-hmm. What can you still do? Um, you know, how has it changed you as a person? Has it made you a better person? Has it made you a worse person in some ways? Um, and just journaling to reflect and just get all the feelings out about, yeah. you know, the grieving process, like how your situations change, how grieving that old self um, and how are you going to come out of it? And, you know, you can still be always kind of partially grieving your old self, but want to move forward and want to find some, some good in that. So I think this stage can be a different length of time for any, for everybody, you know, it might take only a few weeks for someone. It might take years for another. You might, always, you might have to keep coming back to this step, but it's so important. I think to just have that reflection time and allow yourself to feel, you know, they say you have to feel the heel and, yeah. um, you kind of have to do, you have to move through that. You have to allow yourself to think about it. So that brings to the next um, step, A for accept. Um, I don't mean like accept it, move on or accept it. Your your situation will never change. That's not it at all. Your situation very well could change. You very well could be cured one day or you could find a way to live better with your condition still. I'm not trying to take any away anyone's hope or I'm not giving up hope on myself either. 
But I think it is important to come to a place of acceptance that this is your current situation. This is your new normal right now. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to, you know, and maybe you need to like um, kind of grovel in it for a little bit or (laughs) have a pity party for a little bit. But then like, wake up, you know, yeah. okay, how are we going to still live your life? Because there's still a lot of life to live. And um, there's certainly ways to work around it and, and work with it. So just kind of, kind of coming to that. That's what I mean by like acceptance yeah. and accepting that, okay, this is where we're at right now. Now what? Mm-hmm. So um, the next steps are the double L's, learn and look. So you're going to learn a little bit kind of about yourself again, like reflect, look back at your journaling that you did, you know, what do you enjoy? What talents and abilities do you have that you can still do? Mm-hmm. Like what skills do you have that you could still somehow use for a purpose? Um, even in your new normal. And then the look part is what kind of groups and what sort of, what types of people can I help? Mm-hmm. Or could I use these gifts to help better connect with them and, you know, I guess do something for society or give back to a cause or just help someone else feel not alone or feel heard or seen or, you know, there's a whole bunch of things you could think about and do with this step. But um, so learn what you can still do and, you know, what talents you can still pursue and who can you help with that. And then the final step, the why in rally is the you, you know, it's like the action step. Um, what steps are you going to take to, um, to do something with, with what you can still do? Mm. So figuring out like concrete goals and um, things that you maybe want to accomplish and pursue with this and, and writing those out too and kind of holding yourself to it. And this might change mm-hmm. and you might rally one, two, three, four, I don't know how many times you can rally with different things in your life. Um, So I use this process specifically in my chronic illness journey Mm -hmm. to, um, I ended up making a documentary with my husband, something I never thought I would ever do. Um, My husband and I like to watch documentaries. I know that. (laughs) But if you asked me 10 years ago, five years ago, if we'd ever make one ourselves, I'd say uh, that sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I figured out that my career is going to look different Mm -hmm. with my illnesses. Um, I accepted that. My situation hasn't changed for some time. There's been improvements and there's been dips and it ebbs and flows, but it is what it is now. And I have to figure out like a new way to do something with my life with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm very connected with the um, chronic illness community and the invisible illness community because of what I go through. So those are people that I figured, okay, I can help. Um, And I love talking to people. I love helping them through their um, challenges, through their problems, talking through things. It brings me joy to do that. And I also know that POTS and other invisible illness don't have a lot of awareness. And there's such a, a stigma of like, oh, it's just anxiety. It's just stress. They're making it up. It's not real. I mean, the list goes on. So I was just so motivated once I found out how many people out there have these types of invisible conditions and that there's such, you know, a narrative that needs to be changed about these things. 
So I got really motivated. I'm like, okay, well, so what can I do? I can relate to these people. I want to do something. I'm like, okay, well, I have a journalism degree. My husband does some film on the side. Um, we just one day were like, what if we made a documentary? Like we love documentaries. Do, yeah. Could we do one on this? And, and so it began and we just went for it and committed and yeah, it's, it's been a journey, but it's, it's given us such purpose and um, it's been really amazing to meet so many inspiring people along the way. And um, I hope our film, you know, helps people out there suffering and, just like that connection piece. I know, um, I know you don't want to give away too much, obviously, <laughs> of the documentary, but is it, is it like focused specifically on your journey or is it kind of incorporating, well, you said you talked to other people throughout it, right? So you're kind of sharing the journey in general. Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. Um, I'm on a journey to find, to try to find the root cause of my POTS or figure out what else is going on. Mm -hmm. Along that journey, we are also following other um, main people in the film and their stories as well and Mm -hmm. telling kind of their before, where they're at now and how they're moving through it. And so we would, you know, we traveled all over the country to to revisit these people and interview and kind of follow their lives for a little bit. And we also have doctors in the film that help validate the condition and speak from a medical perspective mm-hmm. so that hopefully when the public or, or other doctors watch it or family members of people who suffer um, watch our film, they can see, okay, these are very credible doctors, you know, from Mayo Clinic, from, you know, Calgary, like there's all these reputable doctors. This is real. Yeah. And it should be treated as such. And these people need proper care and should be supported, like, just like they have any other illness that you can see. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why is it when someone has like a broken arm and a sling, right. they get more sympathy than somebody who literally deals with chronic pain every single day? Yeah. You know, we need to, um, we need to create an awareness in general in the world that you never know what someone's going through. And mm-hmm. just because someone looks healthy doesn't mean they are. And just because yep. someone doesn't look sick doesn't mean they aren't sick. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, honestly, the invisible side of a chronic illness or even just the invisible to other people, like, you know, to us, like with you fainting or having, you know, chronic migraine, I also have chronic migraine. So Mm -hmm. like it, like if someone looked at me while I'm having a migraine, they could tell him it was in pain, but like not understanding where all these other symptoms are coming or how that feels for it to be something that we think about all the time. Or anytime I feel a headache coming on, I'm just like, you know, full of anxiety that it's going to turn into a full migraine. And, and I think just like this invisibility, um, and I think it just like your documentary podcasts out there, blogs, all the people in the chronic and invisible industry, invisible illness industries that are, or communities, I should say, that are speaking out more right now is so important because it's just bringing to light. I mean, even me having Hashimoto's and I've had it for 10 years, I've had chronic headaches most of my life, but like I had no idea what POTS was 
a year ago. Um, it wasn't until I talked to someone just like you on this podcast that I found that out or multiple other chronic illnesses that I had no idea. Or my husband still deals with chronic health issues that we still don't have a diagnosis for. And like what you said before, um, that really hit home for me is this like immediate jump to anxiety or like, Oh, it's because you're anxious. Oh, it's because you're depressed. And my husband very much was like, no, I feel anxious because I'm sick. (laughs) Like, you know, so it's just all this space that can be so frustrating for us in, in the chronic illness space of just not being heard. So I think that it's really important that people like you are, are sharing what's going on and we're not being quiet about it anymore. Absolutely. I think it's wonderful that so many in the community are getting out there and using their voices and sharing their experiences because there's so much power in that. And, you know, we need people to keep getting out there and making others aware that there are so many things you can be plagued with or going through that. Yeah. You don't always see the symptoms and it needs to not just be assumed that it's just from anxiety or like, that's it. Yeah. We have a doctor that says something like this in the film where, you know, pots or POTS isn't caused by stress or anxiety, but POTS can cause stress and anxiety because, and I loved that because it's so true in dealing with and in deal and juggling all the medications, all the treatments, all the symptoms every day that we're thrown. It, yeah, it can be, but that doesn't mean that that's all it is. That doesn't mean that that's even what the start of it was. But yeah. once it gets to that point, I feel like people are even more disregarded and it's just not, it's not right because then people aren't getting treated accordingly. So just like even just, uh, I feel like for a lot of people in the chronic illness space, even just finding doctors that will listen or that won't gaslight you or won't not, you know, just kind of downplay how you're feeling. I remember um, going to a endocrinologist and, and he told me that I had Hashimoto's. I had thought it was hypothyroid, which they're the same symptoms, but it was the autoimmune version. And he was just like, I mean, quite honestly, it's the best chronic illness to have. And I was like, I don't know <laughs> that like anything really is the best. Um, or just like, you know, having other doctors, I was, I started eating gluten-free cause it helped my like digestive issues. And, um, and I went to like, uh, um, I don't remember the type of doctor, but I went to a doctor basically. And he was like, nah, gluten-free is a fad. It's not true. And I was like, but I don't get sick or bloated if I don't eat gluten. And when I do, I bloat. And he's like, no, that's not true. (laughs) I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it is. So, and you know, there's so many more people that are just dealing with these like debilitating symptoms and to then go to and I'm not knocking all doctors. I've worked with some wonderful doctors, obviously, but like, but then to go to someone that is seen, especially in our culture as someone that knows so much and, and can be there to help you. And then for them to downplay that, I mean, that's where people start to um, like distrust themselves and be like, and maybe I am making this up. Maybe I am just anxious. Like, where is this coming from? Um yeah. So I think it's just, it's just another reason that it's so important for those of us that deal with symptoms or things like this to, to advocate for ourselves because it also in doing so advocates for others because they see you doing that. And they're like, Oh, I didn't know I could 
talk back to my doctor. I didn't know that I could <laughs> leave my doctor and find a new person. I don't, you know, all these different things. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You said a lot of great things there. I think taking back some of the control as a patient, like yeah. we don't have to put up with bad healthcare. We don't have to stay with a doctor that's not being helpful. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of doctors out there and there are a lot of great ones, as you said, and you just have to find the right fit for you and the, someone who's willing to listen to you and take what you say at face value. Um, because often you can learn a lot from what the patient says. Yeah. And I feel you need to find someone that doesn't overlook that mm-hmm. and dismiss that. Yeah. I know you don't have an exact date for your documentary to come out, but it, are you thinking like next year sometime, right? Definitely next year. We're hoping um, by summer, but we will keep you posted. Um, we're on social media. So if you follow us, we'll be um, certainly keeping you all updated on that process. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find you online or find out about the documentary online? Where could they do that? Yeah. So um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also have a website. Um, my personal Instagram is just Ashley spelled the pretty typical way underscore rip and trop. That's mm-hmm. a mouthful, but it's R I P P E N T R O P. And then our film handle on Instagram is just at behind the visible film. And Facebook is also at Behind the Visible Film, should pop up our page. And then Twitter is at BTV Film. So any of those, uh, you know, channels, we will be posting updates on a release date. Cool. Yeah, I'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes and in the blog post so people can just head on over there as well as they're listening. But so... We talked through the rally process or method, and I just, like, I think that that's such a wonderful way, like, concrete way to to work through how you're feeling and when, you know, when you're trying to move forward from a diagnosis or from not being diagnosed and kind of just moving forward. But one thing that I always like to ask everyone, <clears throat> which this might tie into your method, but what are some rituals or routines that you like to do kind of on the daily that, or weekly, whatever, that kind of make you feel your best? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I love going for walks. Mm. I think I need to get out in nature. I love nature and, and hikes, you know, when I'm able and, but just getting outside, just getting moving um, mm. helps me. So definitely going for walks. Um, I try to make it a daily thing, but definitely multiple times a week. I do try to journal um, every week. There's periods where I'm not so good at it, but um, there's periods where I'm journaling every day or multiple times a day. And th- I know that I do better when I'm doing those things. So I, those are two of my um, recommendations. And um, yeah, listening to podcasts, just feeding yourself with good stuff. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, things you watch, the things you listen to, the things you read, it all affects you. And so if you know you're listening to something bad or watching something bad, like make sure to balance it out with something that's good or going to be positive. Like, you know, if you're going to watch a horror movie, like watch something funny or comedy or happy or something. Yeah. So yeah, things like that um, really help. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that I was like, I got into this weird obsession with like true crime podcasts and I was like loving them. And they're, you know, they come from like, they're, I wasn't even listening to the, I mean, it's still serious. Don't, 
don't everybody attack me about like not thinking that true crime is, it's still serious. I love true crime too. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, my favorite murder. So it's like, they're more of like a, there's like a comedic twist to it. And that sounds really awful, <laughs> but it's not, it's not comedy about the true crime. Anyway, I'm getting like way off topic. However, I was like noticing that I couldn't fall asleep at night. Like I would just get anxiety and I wasn't worried about like being killed or anything like that. But I was like just this weird anxiety that would pop up. And, and then I just like stopped listening to the podcast for a while. And I was like, Oh, and I'm not saying don't go (laughs) listen to the podcast. I'm just saying like what you said, like balancing that out for me, it's like, if I'm going to listen to a true crime podcast or like a documentary around that kind of stuff, I'm going to do it earlier in the day. (laughs) And then I'm going to like, do something that's a little bit more uplifting or um, like my husband and I use whenever we watch something like more serious on Netflix, we always leave enough time for what he calls is a palate cleanser. <laughs> so like a very, <laughs> like, you know, like very chill, funny 20 minute sitcom or something that will just like take your mind off of it. But anyway, that was a long t- tangent about, <laughs> about that. No, I love it. I, we, my husband and I, when we're on long road trips, we uh, bust out the true crime podcast and we will definitely have to like listen to a sermon or like some positive yeah. music after because you got to have that that balance uh, yeah yeah and that's and another thing too yeah just my faith too oh, um yes. you know if, if you're religious or if you have faith um if not maybe you have something else that you know gives you that positivity but yeah for me it's like you got to be filling yourself with all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important, like your spirituality, your faith, um, your religion, whatever, whatever works for you. But even just in like um, social media, I work in social media full time. That's what I do. And it can be exhausting, just completely exhausting. And even if you're, you know, following a bunch of really good people, I think sometimes you need to take a break from it. Or sometimes you need to get, um, you need to like, get your information from a different source or different things like that. You know, like social media can be a great place for those of us with with chronic illness because we can connect with others in the community. But at the same time, you do have to notice how it's affecting you. I noticed, for example, when I first got into the chronic illness community that I was in a lot of Facebook groups and it was a lot of women talking about how their marriage was ending because their Hashimoto's was so bad or they couldn't ever have children or like all these things. And I noticed that these things that I never worried about before I started to worry about because I was taking on other people's stuff. And while it's still important to connect with people, just make sure that you're finding the right way to connect. And you're also taking time to be like, does this fit my person? Does this fit how I'm feeling? Or am I taking on someone else's um, situation? So I think it's always important to just like balance, like you said, like just balance what you're taking in, when you're taking it in, maybe turn the true crime podcast off at night for a little bit. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I, I'm very supportive of social media cleanses, however many they are or how long. And I mean, I purposely will have to like mute certain accounts or like I, you know, for me personally, and nothing, you know, people are free to follow whoever they want to follow. But I know I don't, follow like influencers I don't tend to because if I'm seeing all these like you know cute outfits or living the life all the time it's 
it gets to you and you start wanting more. And I feel like if you don't see it as much, you don't want it as much. Yeah. And the, and the latter. Um, so I do think it's important, like you said, to, to notice how it's affecting you like social media and stuff. And, and even the support groups that are supposed to be there to help you. I, you know, I've, I've seen them kind of get competitive or yeah, you kind Mm -hmm. of take on other people's um, worries that if you weren't constantly um, reading that or seeing that all the time, Mm -hmm. maybe you would be better off. So definitely a balance. Those, those things are all good things. It's just in moderation and in balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you can even use the rally method for that as well. Like kind of reflecting on like what you're going through and where is this coming sure. from? What am I learning here? You know, like taking that into that as well, just in general, it's something I think with COVID I've noticed myself, even though I've worked in social media and I feel like I've had really good boundaries I've noticed in the last you know, months, however long it's been <laughs> now, <laughs> but like that is just, it's, it's more, um, I feel like a lot of us are using it for more of a distraction right now from what's really going on. And like you said, then you can start to like, all of a sudden I'm like, why is this, why does this person's husband do this for this person? Or like, why, you know, does this person with Hashimoto's not have as many issues as me or vice versa? And mm-hmm. I think it's just important to like reflect on like how, what's happening here for me right now. And sometimes, like you said, that's muting people. It's um, taking inventory of who you're following. And it's like really checking in with yourself to see like, what's the actual reality here for me? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. <laughs> <In a second. laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm just tangenting on multiple things today, but it's all, no, it's all, it's all good stuff. <laughs> It's all good. But is there, so is there anything else that you would like to tell the listeners of the podcast today? Just that you're not alone. And there are a lot of us that care about what you're going through. And um, yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, You can always send me an Instagram message. And um, I hope you you can find hope in our film when it comes out. And it can be a resource to you to share with your family and doctors and whoever else. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Looking forward to seeing that next year. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, no, thank you so much. You have a great podcast. It's been an honor to, to be on it with you. Thank you. I appreciate that.